So, uh, welcome back to Behind the DM Screen, where three DMs talk about their games and help each other out. Uh, and I'm back. This Yay. is yeah, woo! This woo. is this is Jeff uh, Griner. So Andy uh, took over for me for a little bit, and then he couldn't make it, and Enrique filled in for an episode, and that was fantastic. Uh, but now Andy's done running, so I'm back to to DMing a game and. Um, I've got a crazy convoluted mess, so I decided that it's time to bring the Behind the DM Screen show back and back to a regular release and all of that. So here I am. Mike Shea is with me as usual. Hello. And of course, we have Sam Dillon. Hello. So so we're all here and we're ready to go. Uh, I'm going to put 15 minutes on the clock. And Mike, you're first. Go. Oh, my God. I'm totally not ready. Um, I am running two... Uh, weekly games now uh which delights me uh but it makes it very hard to do a lot of service to either of them so i'm running (laughs) published adventures for both of them um on my wednesday game i'm running the strangling sea which is a uh introductory adventure uh written by robin laws uh directly for 13th age and my plan is to um uh go right into the stone thief eyes of the stone thief are you guys familiar with this adventure? Nope. Yep. <laughs> uh, Eyes of the Stone Thief is an enormous adventure. It's the biggest adventure I've ever seen. It's as big as a campaign source book. 300-some pages, and it's that thick stock paper that they, they love over at Pelgrim. And uh, it's about a... It, it, I think the original name for the adventure was Moby Dungeon. Uh, if you are familiar with 13th Age, uh, dungeons. some dungeons can be living dungeons, which are kind of like you know uh, uh, an in an in-story way to have dungeons that reset their own traps and refill themselves with monsters so that you can kind of classic D&D dungeons, but mm-hmm. they kind of make sense. Uh, this one is one that's like a giant purple worm made out of dungeons. And it uh, burrows into the ground and it rises up and it eats things and it destroys cities and it's, you know, this this unstoppable force of a mixture of dungeons and that's that campaign. But that starts at level four. We wanted to start at level one, so I went with uh, a couple of published adventures including... Uh, the Strangling Sea. Um, it has been very interesting for me to go back to 13th Age after playing 5th for about a year now. And uh, I remember while playing 5th, thinking to myself that while 5th edition certainly felt like D&D to me, um, I, I, I thought that 13th Age was uh, the mechanical, uh, well, yeah, it was mechanically superior. Like it, you know, things were things were more solid. That you know, damage levels were straighter. The curve was better. And and from a from a player perspective, PCs were more empowered. Um, they have lots of hit points. They can do lots of stuff. And I think that's overall that's true. But now that I'm playing both, I I think I'm preferring fifth, hmm. uh, which is interesting. Yeah, I wasn't. And and that's because there's still a lot of like hand-waved sort of stuff that goes on in 13th Age. I, I, I still don't know exactly how the hell skill checks work in 13th Age. I never really know what to ask for. Like, you know, I usually end up saying something like, you know, uh, roll a wisdom check and add any sailory kind of background you might have to it. Right? And they're like, well, I was a, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, uh, I worked on a, a keel boat for the Emperor. I'm like, okay, add that to the... Add that to the- <laughs> Um, 
So in our game, uh, they've been running around uh, the strangle the strangle sea, which is this weird. It's kind of like the Bermuda Triangle, uh, filled up with this uh, crazy moss, and all and ships get stuck there, and they can never leave. Um, and I love the format for this adventure because it's very open ended as to where the PCs go and what they do, and they have this sort of Thirteenth um, Age style. Uh, nothing is set in stone. So the 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 thing the, the the person they're trying to recover a person known as Indigo Sharp, uh, the adventure says like put Indigo Sharp in the last place the PCs would check, right? <laughs> so they they want you to try all the places before you run into Indigo Sharp, which can can be kind of you know like well that's weird like why not just put him somewhere? But on the other hand, it's like a surefire way to make sure they check everywhere. Right. Uh, well, so I mean, uh, well, Princes of the Apocalypse kind of does the same thing, right? What, um, whichever place you go last is the one that happens to be, you know, it doesn't matter what order you oh, go in. Oh, in the end. Yeah. 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 By, the, by the end, whichever, right, whichever group you're, whichever way you're going, that's the one that's on the, or, you know, on the verge of summoning a right. prince. Although, doesn't it kind of like, essentially, they're all moving and you stop, you know, you're stopping them early and that's what's preventing them from doing and that's what's pushing the other people to do it closer. I suppose. That was the impression I got from that adventure <laughs> was things were actually changing. While I just you, I just thought they built a formula so that it could feel they, they feel have. sandboxy but yeah. still have a, a beginning and end. Yeah, they may have, and I I I, ran, I ended up running that one differently than it was written. Um, but the way I read it was sort of this idea of the world is moving and and whichever one you go to, that's helping to push the other one. This one I just feel like it literally you know it isn't anywhere right. until you decide to put it. Which you know Thirteenth Age to me as you know the idea of Schrodinger's D and D. Uh, for me, really gelled when I when I started playing Thirteenth Age, because you don't know what the icon rolls are going to do, and when you don't know what the icon rolls are going to do, you can't plan for that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and therefore you have these like amorph. And th- this this one has it specifically too, where you have these like amorphous blob monsters that don't get defined until somebody rolls an icon roll, and then they suddenly turn into agents of the Crusader, or they turn into you know thieves from the Prince of Shadows, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um. So, uh, so that's, that's been an interesting, uh, an interesting run. Um, problem wise, uh, and I don't, I don't, you know, I, I know what the, I, I think I know what the right answer is to solve this problem. I've been playing this one a lot looser and, and I've, I've been kind of very busy with other, with other projects while I'm, you know, other creative projects while I've been running these games. So yesterday I didn't even sit down and write down the first line of preparation, which is usually like, how is this going to start? You know, how am I going to start tonight's session until about 15 minutes before the session, hmm. which even as a lazy DM is, is awfully lazy. Um, and it worked out because it was essentially there. They were stuck in this, this, you know, I added some stuff because one of the problems with this adventure is running around a big kelp farm isn't really that exciting. So I threw a, a crazy dungeon in the middle this, this pyramid called the pyramid of the night King. Um, and that's sunken underneath the thing, and they start exploring that. And then while they're in it, it starts to get eaten by the stone thief. And, and they, they see a dungeon they're inside getting devoured. Uh, but I, I, I'm feeling like this, because 13th Age is a looser system, and because I'm running it really open, like I'm, I'm really not doing a lot of A to Z preparation, it feels really, the whole thing feels really loose to me. And I don't think it's affected the game from an entertainment standpoint so so much. 
but it feels so loose to me that I don't feel like I'm on any kind of solid ground. You mm-hmm. know, I don't feel like there's any real thing in this adventure yet until all of a sudden the eyes of the PCs focus on it. Is that okay for you? You know, it seems like I said, it, it seems like it's working out. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, you know, that whole scene of them being stuck inside of a dungeon that's getting eaten while they're trying to swim out, and it's and it's going underneath. Like, I thought it was really exciting, and the the group I had last night, I th- I didn't, you know, I could be totally obtuse and not reading them at all. Uh, or it looked like they were all having a pretty decent time. Like, mm-hmm. none of them were bored. You know, I mean, they're all, you know, it's late at night. They're all on their iPhones. Right. So but my question is, is yeah. it okay for you? Because I've, I've been in the same situation where I feel like I, the whole night I just sort of completely made it up and flew by the seat of my pants. And I right. felt like it went okay looking back at it. But for myself, it's like, but, you know, I'm a middle school teacher and this is more chaotic than I'm used to, <laughs> you know? So. Yeah. I mean, I like it. Okay. Uh, and, and honestly, I, I think I'll be happier. So, yeah, I liked it. And, I, and like I said, today I was out uh, taking a walk and I and was thinking about it. And I was like, yeah, I just love that scene. I hope they loved it as much as I did. Because the scene of the dungeon getting devoured and them getting, you know, them getting out and me getting to say things like take 2d6 Ben's damage for swimming 100 feet out of the ocean. <laughs> right. And then one of the guys is like, no, I have resistance to Ben's damage. And I'm like, no, you don't. No, <laughs> no one has resistance to Ben's damage. Um, and the funny part of that was like all of the best, most capable swimmers failed their or, or got attacked by Ben's damage because, you know, you, you roll attack rolls at 13th age. Um, they all got attacked by Ben's damage and took damage, except the one guy who was the least likely to survive. And he was fine. So that was kind of the big joke was like, why did the why did the one guy who's like the has the weakest constitution of everybody? He gets up and he's fine and everybody else is keeling over from Ben's damage. That that you, cracked me up. You know what I you know what I've learned? That is hilarious. That's the kind of stuff that happens in my game all the time. The least capable person yeah. oh, it's such succeeds a no problem. Yeah. But but I, I've learned that um this actually just happened to me, what you're talking about, where you kind of get done with the session and you're like, oh, I think everybody had a good time, but I'm like I hope they had a good time. I, I and it's yeah. Often I'm a little unsure, especially if I'm running like a new system or if I'm going back to a system I haven't run in a while. Mm-hmm, right. um, I just ran a Trail of Cthulhu one shot um, last weekend. And at the end of the session, I kind of drove home and I thought, man, that just did not go as smoothly as I wanted. And it didn't, it just didn't seem like everybody was having fun and, and all this. But I, I recorded the session. And so this week on my commute, I've been listening wow. to the session to see like what I could like pull from it and use to improve my jamming in that particular game and i'm listening to this thing and they were having a blast hmm. right on. yeah that's that's what you know there's a there's a whole thing about um if you want to get better at giving presentations you should record mm-hmm. yourself and then listen to your yeah. or, or watch your oh, recording sure. mm-hmm. i've never thought right. about doing that as a dm <laughs> i mean i've re- yeah. i think i don't know if i've ever recorded a session like it makes a lot I, of sense i mean yeah, i i feel sure. like i've gotten way better at speaking on a podcast because i spent so many years editing myself on the podcast maybe i've gotten worse since sam took over i don't know but uh, <laughs> you know i feel like there's a lot less of the the awkward pauses and the uhs and the ums and that kind of stuff because i spent so much time listening to myself sam you know yeah, yeah. You know, I used to record myself all the time because I used to consistently release my game uh, sessions on RPG MP3. Oh, yeah? 
yeah, that website. And and then I quit because I stopped having a group that met weekly. Mm-hmm. And I didn't edit those or anything. I just, you know, we just released mm-hmm. them or whatever. But so then I stopped recording too. And then every once in a while I record a session and it actually is an eye opener. Mm-hmm. It made me actually listening to it made me feel a lot better about the session. So you're probably you're probably right. They were probably having a really good time and you just didn't it's just it's just different from the GM's perspective. Sometimes we're just way harder on ourselves than. Oh yeah, than, well, and and more so yeah. in our heads dealing with the things mm-hmm. that are going. You know, I um, I not only flew by the seat of my pants in terms of running a game, but uh, there was a month or two ago that Andy couldn't make it, and so I just ran a one shot of Shadow of the Demon Lord, mm-hmm. which I hadn't even read yet. So yeah. like two hours before, Andy sends me a message saying he's not coming, and I start reading Shadow of the Demon Lord right then and there to try to learn the system because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's, it's supposed to be good for a one shot. Yeah. I'll give it a shot, let you know. So I learned Lucky the system and then system. ran it, and so I, yeah. the whole time I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know if this is going well, and I'm in my head, and I don't really know um, how the story's going because I can barely pay attention to the players. And then I got to the end of it, and I sort of, you know, judged from the discussion that was going on. I was like, no, I think they had a really good time. I think this went really well, and I saved the characters in case we ever decide to come back to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one thing I, I want to always do more of and, and never do and preach about all the time and don't follow, which is really taking the time before a session to just start by looking at the characters. And saying, what are the interesting stories that are going on with these characters yeah. that I can build into the session? Rather than, let me build a session and then figure out how to shoehorn in some PCs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I forget to do that, too. And it's an easy thing to forget. Yeah, and, and that's something I'm going to try to work especially on. With actually, the and I'll adventure. talk about it when I get to my part. But Yeah, <laughs> yeah, especially with the published adventure where you know, you're like, mm-hmm. keep mm-hmm. up on the adventure. Right, yep. Um, yeah, and in my other game, I'm running out. Of, I'm not going to go over. So it you got long. you got two and a half minutes. I got two and a half game. minutes. Let me cover. I could cover like the last six months in two and a half minutes. So, <laughs> um, I've been running out of the abyss. I've been running. Uh, we we moved from one game store to another, but this and and this time, uh, where I was running an open game where people just showed up or not. So uh, this now is an, I, like an adventures league game. Uh, no, I guess it's a it's a <laughs> private. Well, it's really weird because it's you know I'm running a published adventure. But it's not an Adventures League game because it doesn't have open signups. I got I got six people to sign up in the beginning, and it's the same six people every week. Oh, okay. And I don't invite anybody else. No one else knows that we're there. Um, so it's kind of legal, but you know, I mean, it's legal as in any published adventure is legal. Um, <laughs> but we got through uh, Gracklestug, and they're having a great time in in Gracklestug. Uh, I really, really, really like Out of the Abyss. Um, I like running it. I think it's I you know. One thing, and and how are you dealing with all the the NPCs? Uh, I killed off a bunch. Okay, that's so, yeah. So <laughs> I, 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 yeah, that's the Stephen King stand idea, right? Like Stephen King was writing the stand, and he got halfway through, and he's like, "I this is totally unwieldy. I'm just going to throw this book away." And then he's like, "Wait a minute, why don't I just have a bomb?" And then he blew up, and he killed half the characters. As a bomb, <laughs> and the rest of the story became manageable. So um, yeah, and 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 actually, the deaths of the characters has been kind of an interesting way because, you know, one of the things I've been trying to do with it is they had this situation in Velkenvelve in the beginning and I constantly want to go back to Velkenvelve because I think where we're going to end this campaign is when the drow find them again. After all this time in the Underdark, the drow who have been hunting them down from Velkenvelve are going to show up and the big confrontation is going to be with the drow. Just as they're about to escape? That's, yeah, which is how the book is written. Right. right? The, book, the book is written with that big escape. Yep. Um, and that's the halfway mark. And then at that point we'll decide, do we want to go to the next published adventure which I hope will be out by then. Uh, or do we want to keep going with this one? Because since I got the same group, we can go the full distance mm-hmm. uh, if they decide they want to do that. But yeah, it's just, you know, 
one thing I'll say about the the three major published adventures, I'll, if you include the first two as as one, mm-hmm. is that I've been happier and happier with them as they've been going. Mm-hmm. And and this one I've liked better than the previous two, and I have found to be the most fun published adventure I've run for fifth, um, because the you know the 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 book is just really well written for the style of play that I like. Where there's the random encounter charts are great. The, the locations are fantastic. You know, they're all really interesting places that you can describe. Oh, ah. <laughs> what is that noise? That's the timer. <laughs> That's your father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Kylo Ren. Go ahead and finish your thought. <laughs> I don't remember what it is. I can't remember my thought. You you Uh-oh. like you like out of yeah, the business. Yeah, I just so I do because like I you know I enjoyed Prince of the Apocalypse, but I, I felt the locations were kind of bland. Um, it was like, you know, crazy, you know, pretty similar castles and towers and, and, and hills and stuff. Um, and then like generic dungeons, you know, very, very kind of straightforward dungeon-y kind of dungeons. Hmm. Um, this one, I feel like they've got these giant mushroom groves with huge mushrooms. I really do feel like it's like the worst, it's a small world ride ever. Um, (laughs) that the players are just being drawn along. And that's probably the weakest part is there's, you know, if I ask the players like, why are you still going the directions? They're like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm like, there's no clear. The goal is escape, and they almost found a way to escape immediately. And I'm like, well, that'd end this whole adventure quick, because <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the, you know, to me, the main quest for the first half of the adventure is get to the surface. Mm-hmm. And the second half is you know, stop the stop the insanity. Right. And um, they almost found a way to get to the surface immediately. And I was like, wow, if you do that, you're gonna bypass half the you know the rest of this whole well. Sec- that was honestly, to me, part of the weakness of the story of the first half of that mm-hmm. adventure, right? Because the Underdark yeah. has tons of exits. It's not just like right. you don't have to and, wander and, and for days not, to find one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not, you do maybe, but you don't have to like travel through 15 towns before you finally figure out how to get out. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, I've been playing it that no, they, they can't. Like they're, you know, they don't know where any of the surface ones are and mm-hmm. they just can't keep finding the people that know how to get out. So, you know, and so and the group has this in mind, like they're they're they like what they're doing and they okay, like good. the small quests. So that's been working. Yeah, out. if you get a group that really likes the exploration and visiting, visiting new places, or whatever, then then the first half of that adventure is really good for that. Yeah. And, and every time I have I think that like um, uh, like legendary resistance and legendary actions, I think every legendary monster should immediately cause insanity. Oh, because it is such an awesome mechanic. Yeah. You just like make a saving throw. You're you're unconscious for one d ten minutes. I need to remember that. It's actually. so powerful. Yeah, it's so tough. And and it's to me, it's like if you look at the stats of the demon princes in the back, they're not all that tough until you put that in there. <laughs> and then yeah, all of a sudden, right. like when half your group is trying to wake up the other half. Yeah, okay. yeah, they're not they're not hard to fight if it was a just a fight, you know, right. a straight on fight. Right. But when you add in, you know. The fact that you're really uh, having to overcome your own weakness your own of insanity. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's way more than just straight fear. Like the dragon fear, right. having run the, the the 20th level D&D game, you know, dragon fear is absolutely meaningless. <laughs> because they all have immune to fear at that point. Oh, right. By then, yeah. Yeah, but the madness, I don't think there is any immunity to that. And, right, because it's relatively the, unique, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like when Demogorgon showed up and... Just looked around, and I think four out of five party members either became babbling idiots or conscience. <laughs> and I would say, like, tell me about your happy place. And they would talk about like these beautiful leather bound chairs and sitting beautiful <laughs> books. And I'm like, yeah. Meanwhile, your corpse is lying there with a smile on his face while Demogorgon's mm-hmm. step on you. 
Oh, it's so <laughs> wonderful. So yeah, I'm having a ball with that adventure, and I'm sorry for going over time. No, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> and before we go on to Sam, I want to mention that not only is Behind the DM Screen back, but so is Noble Knight. Noble Knight has decided to support us again for another uh, three-month stint. So you should check them out. Because they're awesome. Because they are awesome. You should check them out at noblenight.com. They are a, a brick-and-mortar game store. But they also have an online game store, and they specialize in finding out-of-print products. Um, and I'm going to go with a product that was published in 1996 as my pick of the episode, written by Skip Williams, who I think we are familiar with. Yes? Yep. Was, was Skip Williams one of the guys that did 13th Age? No, that was Rob Heinsu so. and Jonathan. Oh, yeah, Rob okay. Heinsu and Jonathan. Tate. All right, yeah, yeah I was thinking. Actually, Skip Williams uh, wrote part of the Sage Advice column. Yes, he years. wrote a lot of the Sage Advice columns back in the day. Uh, so Skip Williams wrote this product. It is an old box set. It is hard to find at this point, especially with all the different parts. But this one is in near mint condition for seventy five dollars. It is the Rod of Seven Parts. Mm. Anybody run the Rod of Seven Parts? No, I never I did, did run it. All right, all right. Well, there you go. It, it is a it is a, a second edition classic. Support for the Tome Show comes from Noble Knight. From Noble Knight. Noble Knight. 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 Thousands of tabletop gamers use a Noble Knight to sell new and out of print games and products at a discounted price. Noble Knight will also buy back the game products you aren't using anymore. NobleKnight.com, the brick-and-mortar online store where out-of-print is available again. Tell them the Tome Show sent you. I use Noble Knight. You do? I love it. It's trying to sound creepy, though. So there you go. And Sam? Yes, sir. It is your turn. Go. Okay. So, uh, just to catch everybody up to speed, um, I am running, I'm still running my uh, call, uh, call, my call. I'm running my Call of Cthulhu. I'm not running Call of Cthulhu. I'm running <laughs> my uh, Castles and Crusades game. Why don't you tell us more it, about what you're, what you're not running, though? Yes, uh, yes, and I'm, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and um, this is the Planescape game where um, what has happened is something occurred and it caused Sigil to break in half. And so the party is now tasked with trying to do something about that. And the way they have uh, become – they've become embroiled in that. And I, and I talked about what happened and what they did and all that in previous episodes. So go back and listen to those. Um, the current Currently what's happening is they um, – what happened was that they realized that um, the ladies – they needed to get to the ladies' ward so they could talk to the Lady of Pain or at least try to find out what's going on in Sigil. Um, the the Dabus or Debus, they – I don't know how to pronounce that, but I call them Dabus. Those are the ones who go around fixing buildings and all that. They disappeared. So Sigil is literally falling apart and also figuratively falling apart because – uh, the the different areas are being overcome by non sigil entities. So a third of well, so let me back up. So uh, they it broke apart, and the group took a portal that they found to try to get back to uh, the ladies' ward. And they had all these adventures. Uh, if I met a game for a second, I'll tell you they had to have those adventures because they had to level up a little bit because you know you can't just run around. Uh, uh, the places that I'm going to uh, 
have them running around in Sigil as first and second level characters. So they had to do a bunch of things off in other planes. And eventually they make it back to Sigil and they make it to the back to the ladies ward. And they are met with a Deva named Unity of Rings, which is actually one of the NPCs from the Planescape um, box set, hmm. who, who tells them that the lady is not available and she is uh, trying to figure out how to maintain her influence and that there are some issues. And so basically they get tasked with uh, getting some MacGuffins and bringing them back so that the Lady of Pain can use their energy to maintain her hold on Sigil. While they are in Sigil, when they get back to Sigil, they realize they've been gone for quite a while. I mean, not not a humongous amount of time, not years, but they've been gone for some weeks. And um, Sigil is completely split now into three pieces. And a third of Sigil is actually still Sigil. And uh, so the ladies' word still exists, and um, the uh, the area next to the ladies' word, which if I find my let me find my notes so I know where I split things, and the the ladies' word and the lower word still exist, um, and the clerk's word and the hive have actually become gloom rot, and the market ward and the guild hall ward has become the city of brass. Hmm. So there are three competing sets of powers who are trying to overtake Sigil and gain control of all of the uh, wonderful power that is that is granted by having control of the portals. Was there a city um, of brass? So, uh, was there a city of brass before the um, split? In your world, in your city, yes, yes, yes. There was a city of brass in its normal in its normal location, but now uh, the city of brass is impinging on sigil and has subsumed a third of sigil. Gotcha. Okay. So, Uh, so it's not that sigil turned into city of brass is that the city of brass has started to appear in sigil. Right. Okay. Right. But, but only on a third of it. And then the other third is the gloom rot is impinging on sigil. And so sigil has disappeared and those areas are not, but two, two of the wards are still intact. Um, but it was physically separated because there were these huge earthquakes, and the Taurus that was Sigil broke into three distinct pieces. Mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, this big, you know, bank of fog in between the, the piece where the Sigil is separate from Gloomrot, and there's, like, molten fire and flames and everything between where Sigil and and the City of Brass are. And in between the City of Brass and Gloomrot, there's, like, this steamy, dirty, foggy, smoggy, nasty area. So, but they're all, they're completely separate, but they're still basically maintaining that sort of round Taurus shape mm-hmm. that Sigil was. So they're told they have to go get these MacGuffins, but they don't know what the MacGuffins are. They're told you'll know them when you see them because they are so powerful they've been hidden and you have to find them. That's that's kind of the test is finding them. If you're the ones that are meant to do this and, and you know, restore the lady's power, then then you have to know these things when you see them. So anyway, they go off on these adventures and I um, I was really, really busy, so I ran short on on prep time, and I ended up using a couple of published uh, modules um, to run them through some some just to give me some NPCs and ready made maps and whatnot. And so I used the Reavers and Har- the Reavers of Harkenwold, which is the late mm-hmm. fourth edition adventure. I used that sort of setup 
as part of where they, you know, where they were and they had to go find a MacGuffin there. Um, I used a, um, a, a printed module, published module from the um, Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG, uh, which is called Sailors on the Starless Sea. I used that so that they could find another MacGuffin. And um, they ended up back in Oceanus, in, in Elysium, on the river Oceanus, which is where the very first plane they had gone to outside of Sigil. And when they were there last time, they helped fight off some evil. But now they're back, and a lot of time has passed, has, has passed. And they, um, they are finding that it, the plane of Elysium is shrinking and shrinking because it's, uh, it's being overtaken by Gloomrot. It's sliding into Gloomrot. Because, you know, in Planescape, where the cities are and where the different planes are, if they are overtaken by enough force of a particular alignment, they'll actually flip alignment and not, they won't be existing anymore. Um, and so basically Elysium sliding into the gloom rot and, um, you know, like, uh, basically everything that was good is becoming not good. And so, um, you know, the city of brass and gloom rot are fighting for all these different planes. And so there's, there's all these things going on. There's all these zombie incursions and there's all these weird things. And, um, they, they're trying to find a portal back to Sigil because they think they found one of the artifacts and they want to go make sure that they're correct. And they end up on a ship with some tieflings and um, they end up in a card game and uh, the deck of cards that they start playing with transmogrifies into a deck of many things. Which, if you listen to the behind the DM screen, you know I love the deck of many things. It's one of my favorite uh, things. Yeah, it's it it it's it's um and it's uh, because what I was gonna do originally was throw part of the madness of Gardmore Abbey at them, mm-hmm. and of course the deck of many things is part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they and they kind of took things in a different direction after the Starless Sea, so I couldn't do that, but I could still throw in the deck of many things. So they end up with. Uh, two out of the three items that they want. And when one of the players draws from the deck of many things, he draws a couple of wishes and um, he wishes two things. He wishes that they had all the artifacts that they need in order to complete their task. And so he does that. And then he also wishes, let's see, how did he word it? Something like, um, I, I wish to bring things back together like they're supposed to be. So, at the end of the last session, they sort of go through the portal and they get to Sigil. And now Sigil is back together. It's a complete Taurus because that's what he wished, except it's not just Sigil. It's still partly Sigil, partly Gloomrot, partly City of Brass. Huh. But now there's no separation between the sections. Mm-hmm. So all heck is breaking loose. Um, and so that's it's where... War on the streets, where, right? So now there's war on the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh and so it's extremely fun. <laughs> They're like, oh, my God. Uh, when, once the player, you know, I let them talk. I let them, you know, just to be metagamey a little bit. You know, I am i don't really, you know, I, I know it's there's sort of the old joke about, well, you know, wishes are really n- not good for PCs because no matter what happens, the player words it poorly and, and it ends up, you know, the wish can be fulfilled, but it still screws over the party. And like because of that sort of meme that's out there or that idea that's out there uh i let them talk as long as they wanted about what they 
he should wish for and all this kind of stuff. And he got, they could have whatever conversation they want. Um, and then when they were done talking, I said, okay, are you done? And they said, yeah, you know, we're done. And I said, okay, now everybody else has to be quiet. He has to say what wishes he's going to wish. Uh, and then of course he totally screwed the pooch because <laughs> he wished for the way he worded his wish about the items that they needed only actually gave him a partial, uh, partial fulfillment of the mm. items so they still have one MacGuffin that they have to go get uh but they but they needed to do that anyway they needed to so, do it anyway. so it didn't really yeah. make anything worse for them uh in the same way of fixing sigil like it didn't right. that doesn't make things worse it just takes the story in a different direction than they expected right yeah 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 but they think it made it worse for them which oh, yeah? is why I'm laughing yeah oh yeah they because when they got back to sigil and they saw that there was no separation between the wards they could see the sort of um, type of architecture and everything from gloom rot impinging into the lower ward mm -hmm. and the architecture from the city of brass impinging into the ladies ward already, even though it just happened. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, the part of sigil that is still sigil is quickly going away. So now they're under a time constraint. Now, now they gave themselves a timer. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's it. And, and by the time they get back, to, they're going to have to leave and go get one more item. And then by the time they get back, um, they'll be of a sufficient enough level to, uh, to actually take something on in the City of Brass or in Gloomrot, whichever one they – we're not going to have time in the campaign for both because I'm getting ready to – you know we're going to switch gears and run a different campaign. But um, mm. they're – so here's the thing is I don't know what I'm – I don't know what the sort of uh, – the climax is going to be in in gloom. It's I have to prepare one for Gloomrod and one for City of Brass because I don't know which one they're going to pick. So I, ha I have not fully planned everything. Uh, that, what do you mean that, you don't know which one they're going to pick? Isn't the plan to get rid of both of them and have it be? Well, they again? will, but they'll only have to deal with the powers on in one of those, and it's their choice which one they want to deal with. And while they're doing that, the other one's going to also be defeated by uh. other powers that they've, uh, you know, mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Um, and so the thing is, like, I was I was I'm really concerned because I'm also uh, I, re I read through Out of the Abyss finally. Um, and I'm also thinking of doing something similar to the uh, big old demon battle, mm -hmm. uh, but maybe not, perhaps not with demons, but with, you know, big uh, genies and all kinds of different stuff. So I'm, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing yet, but it, it'll for sure be fun. This campaign turned out to be an extreme amount of fun. Um yeah, yeah, I have so. to say, um, this campaign sounds really interesting to me. Like, this is up yep. my alley. And that's that's not always the case. Like, you and I have very different um, mm -hmm. tastes. Like, your, mm -hmm. your, your city on the columns thing was always interesting, but not the kind of thing that I would want to play in. Right. Yeah. I want to play this, this campaign. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, maybe I'll write it up. I mean, oh. the part of the reason that we that that Planescape is such a sort of good fit is that a couple of the players at, at, in the group they really like the sort of more traditional standard fantasy. You're you know running around saving mm. princesses and you know getting lots of treasure. And with Planescape, of course, you can always just hop over to one of the material planes mm -hmm. and you know. And so that's what we did. And then, but you can also end up on a odd plane and you know be in some place that's completely foreign and you don't even know how things work and you're not sure what's going on. And, and actually one of the PCs died and they had taken a vial, they had taken a vial and filled it with water from the river Oceanus. And when the PC died, one of the other 
PCs pulled out his vial that he had kept because they thought it might be able to heal them later, but they had never used them. And so he pulled out his vial and poured the water from the River Oceanus all over the body of the PC that had just been killed. Mm. And so I was like, wow, that's brilliant. Like, what a great use for that. So that PC became a petitioner in Elysium Mm. in the town closest to where they pulled that water out of the river. So then they had to go back to Elysium to get that PC because I gave the player a choice. You can be that same PC still, but you got to wait for them to come get you. Or you can just make a new character and that PC will be a petitioner and we don't have to worry about that person will be an NPC later on probably. And he said, oh, I really like this character. I want to keep playing this character. And I was like, okay. So that took it in directions I wasn't expecting, and but really interesting. And so now he's a petitioner. So if he dies on a different plane, his soul is never going to be at peace and he'll be gone for good. He will no longer exist. Whereas, you know, if he were to die on, you know, that's how Planescape works. If you're a petitioner and you die on the plane that you're meant to be on, you just sort of respawn. Mm-hmm. So. Right on. Yeah. Really yeah, it sounds fun. cool. Yeah. And you've wrapped up I with 10 seconds left. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I will reset the timer. Unless uh, Mike has anything you want to ask Sam? No, no. It sounds cool. I love Sigil. Yeah. And, you know, and I love yeah. all the – yeah, that's that's wild stuff. That's just, you know. You know, the thing about Sigil is – one of the cool things about the way that they're doing all the factions with their recent, most recent published adventures for fifth edition. Oh yeah. You know, they bring in all the factions so that each character or, or so that the party has people that they can contact that have particular philosophies about the way the world works. And so their motivations are really easy to sort of portray as an NPC for the most part. Uh, because they have specific motivations, because they're allied with that faction. Um, Sigil has the same thing. It's just that they're not all good. You know, they're not always just you know lawful good or neutral good or whatever. So they're not always as easy to portray because sometimes they're they're backstabbing bastards. But mm-hmm. for the most part, that whole idea of factions started with Planescape, and uh, it's one of the things that they're that they're doing more recently that's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and, and it's one of those things where I was like, would fit really well into a lot of these five E ideas, and I, I'm, I'm as yeah. much as I really want a a full fledged Forgotten Realms campaign guide, like mm-hmm. I also really there's all these other campaigns that I think would work really well, and I kind of want to see them, but I don't know what their plans yeah. are. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah, and that's not to say that you know I'm not. It's not that I. You know, I know there were uh, factions in Forgotten Realms. There's been factions in Forgotten Realms oh, for sure, a long sure, time. Sure. But, no, but, but, but the, fa- I, the whole faction idea for Sigil is, is a really th- cute yeah. thing, right? But, the, but yeah, it is. But the way they're doing it in, like, for example, in Out of the Abyss and in The Princess of the Pocket, like the most recent published adventures, the way that they're doing it there is is a little sort of, it's a little better just for the Supported. sort of non-realms yeah. junkie, mm-hmm. right? Like it's easy enough to understand for a non-Realmsian person that it can be useful in a game, yeah. Even no. if you're not really focused on canon. Whereas I, previously, I don't know if that's the case. Yeah, I would argue that before the realms had organizations, but f- the factions thing is new. Yeah. So no, I, I and I think that whole concept translates really well into into places like Sigil, like you're talking about, mm-hmm. where factions yeah. were always a big deal, arguably right. a bigger deal. Um, yeah. You know, so. Yeah, they are. 
All right. Anyway. Well, I will put 15 minutes on the clock for myself. Uh, so I've got I, – I started brainstorming ideas um, as Andy was running uh, the Tyranny of Dragons campaign. And I think uh, listeners will be happy, right, because um, – I got an email complaint at one point that we we keep talking about the same adventures because we're all running the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and we'd been doing that for a while, right? You know, I did Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil, and then Mike did sort of a take on the same thing, and then several people doing Tyranny of Dragons at once and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we're all doing something very, very different right now. So as I'm thinking about what I'm going to do for my next campaign, I'm, I'm reading um, of Dice and Men, um, mm. which is a mm-hmm. D&D... Um, history, but also sort of telling the author sort of his story with D and D, and he's telling about talking about his campaign, and he's talking about his campaign being sort of this weird um, vampire ruled post apocalyptic fantasy Earth, right? And then I watch Titan's Grave, and I'm like, okay, so now I'm now I'm really hung up on the sort of post apocalyptic fantasy thing. <laughs> so I'm doing a post apocalyptic fantasy Earth, but it's. Far enough, it's an unknown number of years into the future. So nobody has any idea. Like, something that I'm just calling the great happening happened. And the world mm. changed. And, and nobody even has any idea how long ago it was. Right? And it changed people and it changed the world. And that's why we get all the monsters and the races and, and what have you. Uh, and so that's sort of the the setting. Um, and then I was also inspired through Titan's Grave. And um, perhaps by the time this comes out, the Titan's Grave advice episode will will um, have hit the, the feed as well, um, where I, we discuss some of these things. Um, but I was inspired by the way um, in that adventure and in, in the way Will Wheaton DM'd it in the show, um, it really opens up to asking a lot of questions. And so I, I designed a handful of questions that I was asking for the PCs to help build the setting. So it was basically, you know, I had an idea of sort of what was in the world, but where in the world those things were was completely open. So I start off with questions like, hey, there is a goodly group of people still left in the world called the Free Realms. Here's the map. Where is it? You know, and I let them pick the mm-hmm. location. Um, you know, and they've got this government that seems to work. Tell me how that government works and let them sort of design all these different elements mm-hmm. as I ask these questions. Um, and, you know, and then it gets to the point where I'm, then I'm asking them character questions like he did in, in Titan's Grave as well to get a little bit of, of information from them. Hey, uh, one of you was uh, has a strange and ancient map that leads to a forgotten dwarven strong, stronghold. Which one of you? You know, so there's a list like that. And then there's a... Some, you know, the typical sort of background questions, but then I also get into like, um, here's a list of people, you know, at least one of them in a positive way, which one and explain. So, you know, so I, all these things that are both building the world and building the characters and, and doing this all together. Um, and it's leaving me with a lot of stuff going on. And then I also have this idea of like, okay, I don't know what should, like what, what I want to do in terms of an adventure. And I have all these published adventures, some of which I've been hanging on to literally for years that I want to do something with. <laughs> what if they're all just out there? Like James mm-hmm. Wyatt did that. Yeah, once, right, right. James Wyatt's thing. So, so I was inspired by that. And I'm like, what if they're all going on? Uh, and so I, 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 I have this concept in, in mind that simultaneously the events of Out of the Abyss Princes of the Apocalypse, The Rod of Seven Parts, and the original Freeport trilogy are all going to be happening at the same time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> right? And I created uh, – I've got this this crazy uh, table 
uh, color-coded timeline thing that says, you know, sort of in level one, these are the events that are kind of going on. Level two, these are the events going on. So they can still completely choose where they go and what they do and and what they take on. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, if you don't go to Freeport until level four, well, then the events of the first adventure have already happened, right? Uh, You know, if you don't go into the Underdark to figure out what's going on with the Demon Lords until level... I don't know, level 13, then the fetid wedding is going on, right? You've missed all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've got this crazy thing going on, and it it occurred to me, like, this is not, this is going to be, like, the weirdest hodgepodge sort of (laughs) campaign ever. And then it occurred to me, except Freeport has this, this horrible terror from beyond the stars creature of chaos called just the unspeakable one, right? Princes of the uh, of the Apocalypse has is it Thera's done or is the, are they just calling it the Elder Elemental Eye or whatever right so but it's the same sort of concept mm-hmm. and in uh, the Rod of Seven Parts they have Miska the Wolf Spider and the Queen mm-hmm. of Chaos who's trying to free was uh, Miska the Wolf Spider um, which means that in three of the four adventures you have this sort of greater entity of chaos who have been imprisoned by the gods trying to escape. <laughs> well, so why can't they all just be the same damn thing? Right. Right? And different yeah. cultures and, and whatever have called them different things. And these are all different plots being, being you know, enacted by this one entity. And I, and I needed something to sort of bring us beyond level 15 anyway because all of the other adventures end at 15 or, or well before. And, but the, the Rod of Seven Parts, I feel like I could extend on because eventually you go on to the end where you have assembled the rod and you use it to access the prison and defeat the creature of chaos, right? So you could actually, by level 20, move in there and kill the thing that the gods once imprisoned. Mm. So it, it, it's – I. I'm worried it's going to be a crazy mess, but I've got it sort of set up where each session my plan is, you know, here are kind of the hooks. Where do you go? And just mm-hmm. sort of plan a few locations, plan a few hooks, plan a few NPCs, and then kind of take – and it's I, – I, I'm hesitant to call it the, the Lazy Dungeon Master style because I've put hours <laughs> of work into this. <laughs> like I, I've made this yeah, my part-time not, job, right, you know? Right. Um, but like when I show up at the table, like I don't know what's going to happen, right? It's a very sort of improv sort of style, I guess. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like shifting where your time is going. I mean that's yeah, and this is this you know I think I think it's a great idea, right? How do you how do you how do you apply your time to an area that doesn't force players to choose one path because that's what you prepped? Well, yeah, and and the other trick to the whole thing is that um, I'm to add another layer into it all. Um, none of this, none of my timeline and adventure map sort of is what I've called it. Um, includes all the stuff that the players added to the world and added to their characters, right? The the characters have their own long-term goals and some of those fit in well. And some of those are, you know, Andy's character because it's post-apocalyptic earth. He said, um, I want to play a Warforged like character. Who's a Japanese robot, mm-hmm. you know, a, a unique sort of weird Japanese robot thing that went into stasis um, and, and woke up at some point and, and is now out in the world and doing things. And uh, of all the things that it has, his memory is damaged, but he has a complete uh, collection of the works of David Bowie. His name is Major Tom Stardust. <laughs> nice so but he's got this then you know there's this whole storyline of well what the heck is that about right so there's all these other things i gotta fit in um i i told them to create sort of a villain for their home 
country to, to deal with. And the villain is these weird sort of insectoid bug people. That doesn't really fit into any of those adventures. So now there, now there's a whole other storyline I got to figure out. Mm-hmm. And I got to layer that into everything else and, and make hooks for those kinds of things going on too. So uh, I think it could be a crazy mess. And I'm curious um, how I can make it lo- not a crazy mess but still do all the cool stuff I want to do. <laughs> do, do, you, do you think that they're going to end up focusing in, in one particular direction pretty quickly? Um. That was one of my big questions too, right? Because like in my head, like it makes sense in my head that they spend a lot of time dealing with the Freeport stuff first because Freeport's done by level eight and then we don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, but at the same time, what if that's not where their interests are and what if they go someplace else? You know, And if you end up in, in the Underdark and Out of the Abyss, um, mm-hmm. you know, if they, if they explore that option, um, that – adds a whole new wrinkle because the whole point of, as you pointed out, the first half of that adventure is you're stuck in the underdark, you know? So all these other adventures go out the window because you can't deal with that. You're stuck in the underdark for like seven levels. Yeah. So you could, you could prep all this stuff and then they just get captured and dragged down to Valkenvel. It could be. Yeah. (laughs) That's one one of the hooks is, Hey, this thing is going on by this cave outside of town. Go check it out. And they'd get in a fight. And in theory, they'd get, they'd lose and get captured. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think that even if you have all these other ones, that eventually they're just going to pick one and kind of, cl- you know, that's going to be the one that they focus on for a while instead of sort of jumping back and forth mm-hmm. between adventures. Um, yeah, and that's, that, and I, I think that's fine. Like, I've, I've, that's what the whole map thing is about, right? Is that you can skip over whole parts of it, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, wor- uh, it works better if you haven't spent a lot of time prepping those other parts because right. then you'll be like, oh, he had this awesome thing and they're not going for it. Yeah, well, and Princess of the Apocalypse works out well for that because, like, you don't need to do – like, none of the events are very specifically timed. Like, I've set some things that are timed, but, okay, so you just, you know, you plow through that part of the dungeon and now you get to the, to the part that is actually a challenge for you. Right. You know? So the good part about what you're doing is – you can always, because there's so much going on, you can always take the temperature of the game mm-hmm. and figure out, like you know, let like, you know, maybe they get captured, they end up down in Velkenvelve, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't realize, as players, not as PCs, but as players, they didn't realize that was going to be like the thing, mm-hmm. and they really don't want to be in the Underdark for six levels. Uh, you can always find that out in a meta capacity and figure out a way to get them out of there earlier than sure. because you've got so many other things going on in the surface. And I'd kind of consider that, that anyway, just when I was reading that. the adventure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it just it works that way. I um, I I just feel like that. It's you know, it's going to be really a heavy load on you (laughs) at first (laughs) because before you know what they're going to actually go focus on for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's normally, you know, that's how my last two campaigns, that's kind of how I set them up was there's all these things going on and, you know, figure out, okay, which of these interests them the most Mm -hmm. and let's, let's go in that direction. And then I had a much easier time prepping because I knew kind of what they, you know, what this particular time, what they were going to do. Uh, but yeah, at first, oh, the work on the front end is so big, but it's mm. worth it. It's worth it in the end. Yeah, and I and I've come up with all these other things that sort of tie it all together, like the the big bug people threat that are trying to destroy their home country. Um, 
it turns out so there's the, there's these weird like geographic rings in the world as i drew the map of of modern day earth right i i sort of i'm like it's post-apocalyptic it's and something big happened and now there's like this weird island chain that makes a circle out here in the middle of the pacific ocean and there's another one over there you know so there's all these weird things and that way i can also screw up the geography and nobody's going to complain that i drew the map wrong (laughs) (laughs) right uh and so they happen to choose one the islands the island chains that forms one of these circles and as they built the world, they said, well, the reason that happened is, is like a portal or something opened in the middle that caused part, partially caused all of, all of this you know, post-apocalyptic fantasy stuff. <laughs> um, and, and some great heroes sealed it. And now there's this seal, you know, capital S seal, in the center there. And, and the whole point of our country is to protect it. And that's what the bug people are after. They're trying to get to the seal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I came up with this idea that they don't have any idea about is that actually, um, you're right. The bug people are trying to get to the seal, but they're actually creatures of law and the seal is, is capping, you know, uh, uh, a source of, of pure chaos, right? Because this, you know, all these storylines deal with these entities of chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the bug people aren't actually your enemy, they're trying to accomplish the same thing you are, but they can't tell you what they're doing and they just assume you don't know what's going on because at the beginning you didn't know what was going on. <laughs> and so they've got to get to the seal or they're trying to get to the seal to destroy the chaos thing, um, you know, and you're just kind of in their way. Mm-hmm. So I think that'll be fun nice. to deal with as well. Yeah. I also have this idea that, that messes with their heads a little bit that um, at the end of the whole campaign um, – the, when you use the rod of seven parts in specific ways, uh, it it breaks up and and the pieces fly off, um, and mm-hmm. then you have to go reassemble it and whatever. Um, so I had this idea that at the end of the campaign, when they defeat the the great being of chaos, whatever it ends up being, or whatever they end up calling it, at that point, uh, that the rod will break apart and split off and spread all over the world creating these portals that go backwards through time, leaking chaos back into the past, and that and that they ended up actually causing the great happening in the distant past and, and, nice. form, and forming all these portals and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I thought that would be a kind of fun little twist. To, see, I always come up with the mm-hmm. end of the campaign <laughs> way yeah. before I get there. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good, though, because, um, I mean, in a way it's good because you let the players take you there Mm-hmm. But you have an idea of of what needs to happen for the end to be set up. As long as you're not completely married to the way that you want it to end, right. but you have a setup, you're you're golden. That's perfect. And, and then it gives me it gives me some guidance for some internal consistency. I find right. You know that way I kind of know where I'm aiming, and I can I can consistently sort of angle in that direction. So and and the only. Uh, problem or question here is that with all of this going on um like uh both of you i think mentioned earlier then then how do you how do you continue to keep the players in the focus right they've i've in their backgrounds i had all of them write a long-term goal um now i have to figure out how to make sure i'm you know moving them towards those long-term goals and mix in their stories along with all this right do you yeah i mean my my trick is i have a i have a campaign sheet that i use and the you know 80 percent of the page for the campaign sheet is about the characters, the PCs, mm-hmm. and my you know what I would like to do that I don't do as often as I like is you know really start with that while I'm planning each session. So if I have those goals in front of me, I can kind of think about how I can start to time together, mm-hmm. you know, session by session. 
Yeah, and some of it I've built into the story, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And like one, change, of, one of the characters' yeah. long-term goals is to find out what the great happening was. Well, guess what? Yeah. I figured that part out now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so. It's it's really interesting to me that you're doing post-apocalypse. That's actually my next campaign is I'm going to run a basically Numenera Gamma World. Okay. Um, and I haven't figured out what the great happening is. And the thing is, I think I'm going to use Microscope to have the party build the world, mm. like the history of the world. Mm-hmm. You guys know what Microscope is? No. It's a it's an it's a small RPG, and it's basically a a campaign history building RPG. Mm. It's meant to be like you set there are certain parameters you set them up, and then you create this timeline of major events and major people in the history of that setting, and. Then there's a couple things that happens, and that's supposed to be the game, but you can actually just leave off the last part. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm saying it really poorly, but basically it gives you these guidelines that lets you um, allow the entire party to have a say in the world and the mm-hmm. setting that's that you're going to play in. Um, and But you don't just create like, oh, here's what's happening right now. You create, here's this entire timeline and history and heroes and, and here's what technology was produced and here's all these things that happened and you know here are the major sort of hallmarks of mm-hmm. that particular setting. And then you, you, you don't go in chronological order. You, you have, okay, you talk about these things that happened over in this era and then, oh, let's switch to a different era and talk about how those things affected this era over here. And then, oh, now we're going to go somewhere in the middle and talk about how, you know, that's involved and this other group of people and these, and it lets you build this really rich history. But because the players are developing it along with you, and they're actually doing, you know, everybody has an equal part in the development. So the mm-hmm. the GM and each of the players have an equal part. So, and then you you talk about, you know, what kind of characters and what kind of a, a game and a campaign you're going to have in that setting in the current time period. So that then when you start the campaign, everybody knows a lot about the history. There's still a lot to, you know, explore, but there's a lot that everybody knows. Yeah, my goal is, is sort of, um, and I don't know... Why in my head I think I, I'm inspired by Titan's Grave to do this because um, he didn't certainly build the setting this way. But um, my goal is to both give them – give have the world creation be a collaborative process mm-hmm. while maintaining the illusion that it's all my decision. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you yeah. know. Um, so it's going to be a lot of um, oh, you go to this place, great. Uh, you walk in and you see these people wearing this red uniform. What are they? You know. So, mm-hmm. but it's always me right. sort of prompting and asking the questions mm-hmm. that fill in the gaps that have them mm-hmm. then yeah. fill in the gaps. So yeah, it's it's, it's so, a lot of me's. Um, and this is what I, where he did get do mm-hmm. this in Titan's Grave. A lot of this. Uh, what, that's where I think the inspiration comes from is is when they ask questions about what something is, uh, I'm going to try really hard to make the answer. You tell me, what is it? You know, and, and have right. it work out that way. Right. Yeah. So in Microscope, what I, I threw a link into the chat window there for you and I'll, I'll put a link when I post this episode. But um, basically, every, you know, you have basically note cards and you end up setting them and it makes sure that all events and all the people are connected. Right. So... Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a really interesting way to uh, to build a world. So, um, but it, and it but then then what happens is because everybody is really has a lot of buy in to that setting, you can do those things that you're talking about. Because when you're in the game and somebody says, "Oh, well, such and such exists," and you can say, "Well, tell me about it," 
Like, you know, yeah, okay, you see those guys in red. Who are they? What are they doing? And then they can actually pull from what they really actually know from the history of the world, or they can completely make up something totally new that fits the setting. And the reason they know it's going to fit the setting is because they know the whole history of the setting, I mean, relatively speaking. So it's pretty interesting. Cool. Can, I, can, I, can I give my favorite recent uh, asking your player to help fill in part of the... Yeah, let's, let's please. Um, so yesterday, and uh, 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 they were trying to swim out of the dungeon that's being eaten by another dungeon, and mm-hmm. um, they had the guy. They were trying to set up a rope so the people that aren't so good at swimming could climb up. And the guy said, "Well, I want to pull. You know, I've got this door, and I've, I, I want to stick something in the door so that I can attach my rope to it." And, I, and I'm thinking, like, well, there's not really an easy thing to attach a rope to that's here already. So I'm like, do you have – what do you have? And he's like, well, I would assume I've got, like, some kind of adventures pack or something like that. You know, I didn't write it down or anything. I said, what priceless heirloom do you have to jam <laughs> into the door and leave there so you can tie the rope? And he's like, <laughs> my mother's meat tenderizer. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote it down. I'm like, that's right. We're going to see that meat tenderizer again. <laughs> so he had the, you know, the dungeon that's getting eaten by another one has a meat tenderizer that his mother gave him. And like the description that he had of it. <laughs> that's yeah, like a hand engraved. See, that's hand. the kind of stuff I want to try to remember to do right. in my game. So it's like this little shit, you know, like it, it was, uh, you know, like, what did that matter? But I just like the idea that instead of arguing with him about whether or not he has a, a python, you know, I'll make right. it, you know, well, I'll make it painful yeah. by creating a fantastic <laughs> thing and then losing it right away. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I enjoyed that one. Yeah. And I didn't even get to tell you guys about the, the two other games that I'm running now, too. Yeah, me neither. But, it's a crazy, you know. crazy life. I started a uh, – well, I started I'm, – I'm sponsoring a, a gaming club at my school, so I'm running games with 12-year-olds oh, now. Oh, Nice. So we can talk about that sometime. But we are out of time. It's already it, it is exactly at about an hour of recording time. So phew. Excellent. <laughs> so uh I guess that's it for us tonight. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. That's all one word, thetomeshow at gmail.com. Uh you can tweet each of us. I am at squatch S-Q-U-A-C-H. Now you guys jump in and tell us yours. Sammy. I am at, at DM Samuel. Uh, I am twitter.com slash sly flourish. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> He's got to be different. All right. But that's all of us on Twitter. So you can reach out to each of us that way. You can email me. You can uh, call into the biz line at 919BizTome. And I think we are done. And we will see you next month when I will have a, a game session or two of my crazy um new campaign under my belt and figure out if i was an in- insane idiot wow what a terrible idea yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out but for now say goodbye <laughs> goodbye, goodbye. goodbye.